Hey everyone, this is Hannah, this is Texas 1031, and this is a Texas true crime podcast. I think I'm going to stop doing intros. They they take way too long, they're kind of emo and moody for no reason, so hence the kind of old format, I guess. I also decided to do a semi-well-known case today because I just felt like it. Before we get started, I did want to let you know that my friend, he has a printing company, and he made me some podcast stickers. They are pretty big. Um, it's just the Texas 1031 logo of the skull and casting nice faces. I am selling them for $5. That is a sticker plus the cost of sending them to you, totaling $5. If you want to get a sticker, go to the donate link in the show notes. This will lead you to the podcast PayPal uh, in the dollar amount section, put five. And then in the what is this payment for section, put the address you want it sent to. I'll also link uh, Johnny's website if you want to buy some more stuff from him. Also, rate and review the podcast. Some of y'all listened and did just that after my plea in the previous episode. So please continue doing so. Thank you. So picture it, Houston, Texas, 2007. Tynesha Stewart was born in 1987 to a large loving family, being one of six siblings. Tynesha was a go-getter, incredibly intelligent and beautiful. Honestly, her entire family was talented. Two of her uncles were NFL players, one for the Minnesota Vikings and the other for the Dallas Cowboys. Despite being naturally gifted academically, she did dip her toe into athletics by being the manager of her high school basketball team. When asked by the coach why she didn't want to actually play on the basketball team, she replied, oh no coach, I don't like to sweat. When a representative for Texas A&M University came to Tynesha's high school for a recruitment day, Tynesha excitedly attended the meetup in the library and was the first to arrive. In 2006, Tynesha would graduate in the top 10% of her class and receive three scholarships to attend Texas A&M and to study civil and chemical engineering. Tynesha was the epitome of a hardworking and determined young woman. She was smart, had a great social circle, She even held down a job while in school at a local pizza hut. As the famous saying goes, she had her entire life ahead of her. Unfortunately, while working at the pizza hut, Tynesha would meet her future boyfriend and future murderer, 24-year-old delivery driver, Timothy Shepard. Already there is a massive red flag, being that she was 16, and again, he was 24 when they first began dating. Timothy was a young father who suffered through a few hardships in his life, but nothing major of note. His biological father passed away in a motorcycle accident when he was young, and he wasn't aware of this until much later in life. Tim was under the impression that his father was his father, when it actually was his stepfather, if that makes sense. His family kept secret the fact that his real dad had died many years earlier. By his later behavior, you would think that Timothy had suffered a much greater trauma and torturous life. The relationship between Tim and Tynesha was fucking awful. He was obviously almost 10 years older than she was, and he was controlling, aggressive, and possessive. Tynesha was ashamed of her relationship with Tim and fearful of him at the same time. She would lie about his age, telling people he was younger than he was. In passing, though, she did tell one of her younger sisters that Tim had actually choked her and threatened to kill her. 
This same sister even witnessed Tim shaking Tynesha for taking a phone call. He had demanded her to not answer. The toll the relationship was having on Tynesha began to show. Her mother recalled her having a black eye at one point and always appearing stressed, on edge, and depressed. Tynesha blamed her sullen attitude and appearance on working too many hours at Pizza Hut and preparing herself for college. Before leaving Houston to attend school in College Station, Tynesha broke things off with Tim once and for all. She knew she couldn't go off to school with this burden of a boyfriend still controlling her every move. She knew she needed a clean break and a fresh start. As many of us know, this is the most critical and dangerous point in a controlling and abusive relationship. A breakup and the ending of a relationship can send both men and women, but primarily men, over the edge. And this is when many victims of domestic abuse and violence are at most risk of being attacked or even killed. But Tanisha made it out of the breakup, alive and well. She set her sights on her future and made her way out to start her freshman year at Texas A&M. The first semester didn't go exactly to plan, however. Tynesha still received angry phone calls and messages from Tim at her dorm room, but overall, Tynesha was moving forward. So much so that she even started dating a new guy named Mark. When Tynesha came home for Christmas, her friends noticed that she seemed lighter and happier and more social. Things on the Timothy front had died down, and he had pretty much stopped calling Tynesha at her dorm and harassing her. Things were looking up. However, all that would change in February of 2007. Tim began calling Tynesha again, leaving hateful voicemails and threatening her and her roommate. He would call relentlessly, asking her friends and roommate where Tynesha was, what she was doing, and who she was with. Tim's jealousy and possessive nature were front and center, almost like he had never left. Tynesha began to slip back into the fear and worry she had once felt all of those months ago when Tim was still in her life. She even told one of her friends that she thought she had seen Tim's car following her around College Station one night. Tynesha knew, though, that she was relatively safe while at A&M. Sure, the pestering phone calls were worrisome, but more than anything, they were just annoying, but somewhat avoidable. However, she knew in a few weeks the safe distance she had from her grudge-holding ex-boyfriend would become far much closer. Spring break was right around the corner, and Tynesha was beginning to fear her return home to Houston. When Tynesha got back in town to see her friends and family, she was immediately inundated with friends and social events. Tim became the last thing on her mind. On Thursday, March 15th, Tynesha and a few of her friends had tickets to go see Beyonce at the Houston Rodeo, followed by a quick weekend trip to South Padre Island before returning to A&M the following Monday. Unfortunately, Tynesha would never attend her spring break plans. On Wednesday, March 14th, Tynesha would spend the day catching up with friends. She even visited with Mark before heading over to another friend's apartment to stay the night. At some point, on the morning of March 15th, Tynesha would leave her friend's apartment with Timothy Shepard. She assured her friend that she would return later that day, but as we all can guess, she never did. 
When Tynesha never came back to the apartment, her friend became worried and reached out to Tynesha's family. It was later determined that for whatever reason, Tynesha called one of her sisters that day around noon and told her that she was going to be leaving with Tim. It's been suggested that she did this as some sort of safety protocol she was trying to implement in case something bad did happen to her while she was away with Tim. You know, this was before sharing your location was a thing, and even if it was, she didn't even take her cell phone with her when she left with Tim that day. After this, nobody heard from Tynesha again. Interestingly, nobody heard from Tim either. His harassing phone calls had suddenly stopped. Tynesha was officially reported missing on Monday, March 19th, and the Harris County Sheriff's Department began their search for 19-year-old Tynesha. After her family explained that Tynesha was last seen with her ex-boyfriend, who had abused her and had recently been stalking her, the investigation began at Timothy's apartment. A deputy, along with Tynesha's mother, arrived at the apartment, which was at 17710 Red Oak Drive, Unit 224, in Northwest Houston. Tim answered the door and was cooperative and accommodating. He never denied Tynesha being there. He said she had come over earlier the week prior, but she had left on foot after having an argument with Tim about her new boyfriend, Mark. After listening to Tim's story and taking down some notes, the deputy asked him if they could take a look inside the apartment. Tim willingly obliged. The apartment was pretty average, a little dirty, but a typical male living space. However, the deputy did note that one area in the apartment had a fresh coat of paint. But that was that, and the deputy and Tynesha's mother left without incident. The next day, March 20th, a search headquarters was set up at a nearby church. Supporters, friends, and family had all begun to gather when law enforcement got word that Tim was actually planning to show up at the church. For his own safety, Tim was placed in the back seat of a patrol unit while at the church. Essentially, deputies were worried that his presence might start some sort of riot or altercation amongst the search party members. While Tim was in the deputy's vehicle, she asked him if he would be willing to make a formal statement and have an official interview down at the Harris County Sheriff's Department, and he said yes. So, the deputy takes him down to the homicide building to be interviewed. During his questioning, Tim continued to deny having anything to do with Tynesha's disappearance. He stuck with his original story that he had seen her, but she had left after they had an argument about Mark. Tim did allow deputies to have a more in-depth and thorough search of his apartment and his car as well. Immediately, red flags began to get thrown up, one after the other. Remember, the first deputy that went into his apartment with Tynesha's mom noted just some fresh paint in one area of the apartment. But this time, when detectives went through the apartment, they noticed the paint as well, but they also saw areas that were obviously bleached, as well as an overly clean bathroom when compared to the rest of his apartment. The tile was spotless, and they noticed that the tile around the tub had also received a fresh few coats of paint. In addition to the unusually tidy apartment that had once been categorized as quite dirty and messy, detectives located bottles of bleach, hydrogen peroxide, and ammonia. Technically, though, these are all household items. 
However, when forensics got involved, things got interesting. Technicians conducted blood tests in the bathroom. The results came back positive for blood spatter near the area of the base of the toilet, edge of the tub, and on the bathroom's light switch. While the inside of the apartment was being processed, the wooded area near the complex was also getting sniffed out by a few of the sheriff's department's canines. However, the dogs and their handlers returned empty-handed. News was spreading fast throughout Houston about the disappearance of Tynesha, and with that news came the exposure of Timothy Shepard. Not only was the relationship between Tynesha and Timothy and their history made public, but the fact that he might have been more than just semi-involved in Tynesha's disappearance came creeping up as well. Tynesha's story was being discussed all across Houston, and it soon caught the attention of local activist and advocate Quanell X. Quanell has been known in the political and judicial circles for quite some time, even assisting gathering confessions from people who were involved in certain murders. So, Quanell reaches out to Tim for an interview of sorts. Quanell goes to Tim's apartment, and they began to talk. Tim appeared to be nervous and reserved, especially when they were in the bathroom. Quanell straight up asked him, you know, do you know where Tynesha is or what really happened to her? Tim was quiet and took a moment before he spoke. He told Quanell he didn't want to talk about it, at least not in the apartment. He was scared that law enforcement had secretly installed audio recording devices in his home when they were processing the unit. Quanell took this opportunity to keep Tim focused, but vulnerable. He directed Tim outside, and the two headed toward the apartment complex's tennis courts. Quanell knew that he needed to keep the pressure on, but also make sure Tim felt comfortable enough to confide in him. The two men continued to talk, and soon, Tim whispered, Man, they're going to kill me. They're going to give me the death penalty. Quanell knew that he needed to get more out of Tim, but he also knew it needed to be fair. To keep Tim comfortable, but still in the moment, Quanell called up his personal attorney and let Tim speak with him. Whatever this attorney said, it either worked or backfired. Because moments after getting off of the phone, Timothy gave a full confession to Quanell about murdering Tynesha. Immediately after Tim confessed, Quanell called the Harris County Sheriff's Department, and a sergeant arrived at the tennis courts shortly thereafter. The men left Tim's apartment complex in his car and drove together to the nearby polo club apartments. After arriving, Tim walked Quanell and the sergeant to one of the complex's dumpsters, where he claimed he had dumped Tynesha's body. Timothy Shepard was immediately arrested and taken to the Sheriff's Department homicide building and placed in an interview room. Photographs were taken of Tim's body, documenting any scratches, marks, bruises, defense wounds, or really anything abnormal, one of which was a small cut on one of his fingers. Tim told investigators that he received the cut from Tynesha on the day she went missing. He said they were arguing, and Tynesha came at him with a knife, cutting his finger in the process. According to Tim, he was in fear for his life. Acting in self-defense, he told the detective interviewing him that he charged at Tynesha and put his hand around her neck, strangling her to death. In a panic, he then put her body in a storage container, drove it to the Polo Apartments, and disposed of her remains in the dumpster. 
With this shocking new information from Tim, investigators head back to his apartment yet again. This time they didn't just conduct blood spatter tests. They actually collect physical and forensic evidence. Investigators record in evidence the following. The apartment's shower and sink drain traps, a sink plunger, the entire garbage disposal, multiple DNA sample swabs, hair, the nozzle to the bathtub, a mop, vacuum, two different hammers, an empty can of ammonia, the cans of white paint he used to touch up the apartment, miscellaneous painting materials, and crucially, 30 pieces of bone. The next step was to properly search the Polo Apartments dumpster. Unfortunately, the trash had recently been picked up in the days prior, and in turn, the storage container allegedly containing Tynesha's body was never found. Discussions were being had and plans were being made to initiate a landfill search for the container. But soon, the landfill, the dumpster, and Timothy's entire story up to this point would come under question. Investigators would receive word from other apartment tenants that on March 16th, they witnessed and smelled Timothy Shepard grilling and smoking meat on his balcony consistently for a number of days. To me, this is more than annoying that none of these people came forward sooner with this information, but it is what it is. One of the neighbors told the investigators that the smell was quite unpleasant and smelled like he was actually burning the meat rather than grilling. More neighbors complained directly to Tim himself, saying that the meat smelled rank, worse than singed hair, and was just plain horrific. He defended his days-long cookout, telling the angry neighbors that the smell was just the cooking spices and barbecue rub he was using. Tim was actually using the grill from a fellow neighbor who he had cooked out with before. When the man asked him if he could get in on the meat when he was finished, Tim forcefully told him no, and that he was actually cooking for a wedding, and couldn't give away any of the meat. Catering a wedding, huh? That's a new one. The grilling got so out of control at some point that the flames began reaching to the ceiling of the apartment's patio. Black smoke was filling the air around his unit's building, and finally, a neighbor called the fire department. A volunteer for the Ponderosa Fire Department, along with a Harris County deputy, took the call. When they arrived, the fire had lessened and the flames were under control. They asked him if they could still take a look around and make sure everything was secure and on the up and up. Tim was initially hesitant to let them in, but eventually he agreed to let them walk through the apartment. Upon entering the unit, they saw there was no fire occurring on the inside. However, both men took note of several pieces of meat in Tim's bathtub. Floating in the water were several rib bones and a handful of random scraps of meat. In the kitchen, the deputy and the firefighter saw what looked like three small burnt chickens on the stove. They also saw a large piece of aluminum foil that had been formed into the shape of a pot. It also had charred meat inside of it. None of this was considered unusual or suspect or weird or odd or gross or strange, and the men left. Granted, you know, this search took place before Tynesha was reported missing and before the deputy and Tynesha's mother visited, so I guess 
that is the only saving grace for this deputy and firefighter. But I still think if I saw fucking rib bones in someone's bathwater, I'd be concerned. Witnesses also told law enforcement that for the duration of Tim's cooking, he left all of his windows open, along with his patio door. Additionally, they saw and heard a number of fans blowing and water running full blast for the majority of the day. Lastly, several neighbors claimed to hear a loud pounding noise from the apartment's dining room and kitchen that lasted for around 30 minutes. After the pounding ceased, more noise followed, this time from the apartment's garbage disposal, which seemed to be left on for a number of minutes. A relative of Tim told police that Tim had confided in him that if he were ever trying to get rid of someone, he would boil them and eat them. It is unknown if Tim did in fact cannibalize Tynesha, but I suppose it is always a possibility with a statement like that. A neighbor also told investigators that they witnessed Tim hauling the grill that didn't belong to him and smoker to the apartment's dumpster and tossing them in after he finished cooking. Neither of these appliances were ever recovered. The incompetence surrounding the initial police work on this case is pretty unbelievable. Why did it take so long to talk to neighbors? Why didn't the deputy and firefighter do anything? It's very upsetting because if he hadn't confessed, he may have gotten away with murder, you know? If Quanell hadn't stepped in and gained Tim's trust, Tynesha could still be just considered missing, literally due to incompetence. Crazy. On September 29th, 2008, the trial against Timothy Shepard would begin. During his time in jail before the trial, Tim attempted to commit suicide by hanging himself in his jail cell. Because of this, he was required to wear a yellow jumpsuit rather than a typical suit and tie. The bright uniform was mandatory to ensure jail staff knew that Timothy was under suicide watch. The defense and prosecution each brought a number of witnesses to support their side. Tim's neighbors, Quanell X, family members, friends, and roommates, deputies, and a forensic anthropologist all testified to what they knew, saw, and heard about the case. The forensic anthropologist that testified told the jury that bone fragments, most likely deriving from a human forearm, were located underneath Tim's patio and appeared to have been cut by some type of saw at or near the time of death, and that the bones had been burned. And while Tynesha's body was never formally you know, found or presented in court, DNA from a tooth found in Tim's garbage disposal matched the DNA of Tynesha Stewart. Tim actually testified in his own defense during the trial. He told the jury he killed Tynesha in self-defense when she refused to reveal to him who she was in a new relationship with. As he had mentioned before, Tynesha grabbed a knife and ran towards him where she nicked his finger, causing the scratch. He was concerned she was actually going to stab him and cause some real damage or even kill him. He continued stating that he grabbed Tynesha by the neck, wrapping his arm around her tighter and tighter, and taking the knife from her with his other hand. He even demonstrated this and reenacted this arm-around-the-neck scenario with the prosecuting attorney playing the role of Tynesha. 
Tim said he just snapped from all of the animosity and anger he had building up inside him over the fact that Tynesha had moved on. He claimed that he blacked out, and when he woke up, both of them were on the apartment floor, but Tynesha was dead. When asked by his own attorney why he never called 911 when he found Tynesha dead, Tim said he was afraid law enforcement wouldn't believe him, so he panicked, and he knew he needed to cover his tracks. In an effort to do just that, Tim told the jury that he went to a hardware store and purchased a jigsaw. After retrieving the saw, Tim claimed that he undressed Tynesha in the bathtub and began to dismember her body with the power tool. In an attempt to hide her identity, Tim took a pair of pliers and ripped out each of her teeth one by one. After successfully dismembering Tynesha, he began cooking her flesh on the patio and then putting the charred body parts down his garbage disposal. He then claims that any remaining pieces of Tynesha were placed into the plastic container and dumped at the Polo Club apartment complex's dumpster. Lastly, he burned his own clothes as well as Tynesha's and went and had dinner with a neighbor to ensure he had some sort of alibi and didn't appear too suspicious. I personally think the fact that he could have just dismembered her and put her fresh tissue down the garbage disposal just as easily, but instead he cooked her and he put her charred tissue down the disposal. This, this leads me to think that he did in fact try and eat her. I know that that's morbid and maybe incorrect, but like why even bother with the cooking and the grilling and the smoking? That just drew more attention, if anything. I think he thought it would be easier to ingest and digest if she was cooked like a fucking steak. But again, that is just speculation. On October 9th, Timothy Shepard was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to 99 years in prison, along with a $10,000 fine. He is currently at the Stiles Unit in Beaumont, Texas. He is available for parole in 2037. So fuck you, Timothy Shepard, and that is the murder of Tynesha Stewart. I don't really have any questions or theories for this case. I kind of expressed them and asked them throughout the episode as I went. But if you have any of your own, please reach out to me on social media. If you have a case suggestion, feel free to DM me on Instagram or email me as well. Um, Go check out the sticker situation if you want and um, go rate and review, like I said. So I will be back with more Texas True Crime. So if anyone is listening, happy Halloween.